right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? We say it every week. Come on, we believe that Jesus, he is truly the hope of the world. So whoever you are, whatever you're going through, your issue, your hurt, or your heartache, or your habit, if you'll open up your life to Jesus, it'll be the greatest decision that you've ever made. Come on, how many people already know that's true? Well, listen, we um, are in a series, again, we started last week, a parenting essentials uh, conversation. Now, again, I know this going into some of these conversations as the pastor, one of my jobs is to make sure that I'm preparing revelation and information that's broad, has to be a little bit humorous so people engage, um, has to be really relevant. And sometimes when you get too narrow, I lose people. But I think parenting is one of the most important things that we're called to do. And so if you hear the term parenting and you're not a parent, you might be quick to tune me out. But again, I still think the information that we're talking about, have, and will talk about is broad enough that really probably the majority, if not all of us, can engage. If you are a parent, hope to be a parent, plan to be a parent, have been a parent, you're a grandparent, or you are in any place of influence over a kid as a coach or a teacher, I think some of the information and the things we're talking about is relevant to you. And so I just want to encourage you, man, just to lean into this conversation, and if nothing else, Ultimately, our relationship with God is that he expresses himself and reveals himself that he's not just God up there somewhere, but he is our heavenly father and we're his children. And there's some of the things that we're talking about that even pertains in our relationship with Jesus. So lean into this conversation. We're talking about this idea of hot rod because uh, kids have a lot of horsepower and sometimes they're hard to steer. Let's go. (laughs) Hot rod, we're talking about hot rod, hot R-O-D, Last week, we talked about running on full. Again, talking about this idea, how how do we help our kids to live a high-octane life for God? How do we fuel their faith? Today, we're talking about giving our kids order, the letter O. And next week, Pastor Ryan's going to close the series as he stepped out of youth ministry into one of our campus pastor roles. Lots of experience with teenagers in offering our kids and giving our kids direction. So you want to make sure you're here next week as we close the series out. So let me ask this question. How many of you guys here in Lawrenceburg or watching online, how many of you have recently become a parent or a grandparent? Maybe in the last year or so, recently become a parent or a grandparent. Some of you aren't very excited about that. <laughs> I swear nobody's like, oh, me. Everybody's like. So let me just give the energy. I'm getting ready to become a grandparent. And I'm fired. Let's get fired up. I'm fired up. I'm ready to do this thing. I, I wanted more kids, and uh, we, didn't, we, didn't, we just decided uh, we quit too early, I think. Notice I said, I think. We don't think that. I think that. Um, I like the process. Shauna doesn't like the journey. Y'all, y'all follow me. So I'm excited. Our, our youngest daughter is getting ready to have a baby here in September, so we're fired up. And here's what I found out, what many of you have found out. Again, if you have recently become or are about to become a parent or a grandparent, is the parental paraphernalia is off the charts. Like there is so much stuff available to help raise these kids. Things that we didn't have available when when I was a child, things that weren't available now as uh, when, when we became parents and raised our children. I mean, it's just exponential increase in growth in all of the stuff that's available to help empower you to raise this next generation. One of the things that I saw, it's been out a little while now, but I don't think it was available when we were kids, is wipe warmers. Yeah, we, we, we don't want to disturb the peace of our children by wiping their rear end with a cold wipey, so now you warm the wipe. No, not in my house, baby. 
We, we didn't have those. They have, again, this is something that's been out a little bit, but again, wasn't out for sure when we were kids. Bike bassinets. Anybody see these things? Like if you want to go on a bike ride, you know, when like I was a child, if you wanted to go on a bike ride, you carried your kid and hope you didn't crash. But now they, they got these little safety pods, like they're protected, like five point harnesses. Like there's no, you could crash off a cliff and your kid's going to be okay. So again, there's just more and more stuff available, which is great. And it doesn't just start with, with children when they're very young, but all the way through a child's journey, what is increasing for this generation is there's really no end for recreation. There's no end for information. There's no end for competition. There are so many things that you can involve and invest in your children to help them grow, to get connected, to grow relationships and technology and sports and discipline, all these things. But here's what I know is true, and here's what we're going to talk about today, is that in all of the plethora of things that we can give our kids, I am convinced and more convinced than ever that really all our kids really need, now not want, not what you want to give them, but what they really need are just the basics. The same things you needed when you were a kid, the same things that I needed when I was a kid are still the same things that kids need today, which means no matter how much the technology and opportunity increases, at the end of the day, every kid on every continent that will ever be born just needs the basics. What are the basics? We're going to break it down this way with an acronym. I don't use many acronyms. I'm going to use one today with the acronym KIDS. Everybody say KIDS because that's what we're raising. That's what we're investing this next generation. Here's what they need. They need knowledge. They need intimacy. They need discipline. I thought that one would get a response. Let's go, Pastor. And they need some structure. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a 30,000-foot view. We're going to go at a pretty quick clip through some of this information. And so I would encourage you in the next 30 minutes to write feverishly um, or feel bad that you didn't do some of this stuff better. I'm preparing this. And I know this. Sean and I have done a pretty good job as parents doing most of this. But there's some of this that as I'm preparing, I'm like, man, we should have done a better job. But I'm going to do better with my grandkids. Because grandkids are a mulligan. Let's go. They're a do-over. Aren't they, everybody? Like, I, didn't, I messed my three up, but the next one, I'm getting, my grandkid, I'm getting that one right. My kids have no hope, but my grandkids going to be a rock star. Let's go. So we're going to talk about these three things. Again, we're just going to jump in, and I want to just tell a story. Here's what's interesting about Scripture. It's, again, there is sometimes this conversation that Scripture was just written by this group of people uh, that just wanted to promote this God that didn't exist and convince people through this book and fool us for all time and all eternity that, hey, there's this God. And what we find is if typically people were to write a story of fantasy, most people tend to focus on the highlights, the wins, what they did right. In fact, what you'll find is if you'll look historically, typically people in power, for example, Roman Caesars, the kings, they had historians write and journal their history of their place and power. And what you'll find is that oftentimes they negated the losses in battle and highlighted the wins because if you are the historian writing for a king, you didn't want to cross the king because he'll put you in prison or have you beheaded. What we find in Scripture is opposite. What we find in Scripture is you'll find the flaws. You'll find the shortcomings. You'll find the mess-ups and the mistakes. In fact, if you're looking for the Bible to be a parental manual, uh, you want to be careful where you look because there's a lot of horrible parents. There's a lot of parents that have blown it and missed the mark. There are some examples. 
I want to lean into one today, and there's a few things I think we can take away in the conversation of kids, knowledge, intimacy, discipline, and structure. His name's Eli. Eli is this cat in the Old Testament. He is the high priest of the nation of Israel. Just for quick context, it's kind of like he's the lead pastor. He's in this key spiritual role. It's his job to lead on behalf of the nation of Israel all the rest of the priests as sacrifices are offered and all of these high holy days in the nation of Israel's calendar, they're all celebrated correctly. And Eli, as was at that time and all the way through to the first century, typically your kids followed in the path and the footsteps of their father, that the generational business continued, whatever it was. So Joseph, he was a carpenter. Jesus would have been a carpenter. Eli, this guy we're going to talk about, was a high priest. It was his job to prepare the next generation of priests. And so his kids, their names were Eli, uh, or I'm sorry, Hophni and Phinehas. Uh, What we find out is that they're being trained to be the next generation of priests. And here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It says, now the sons of Eli were scoundrels. Interesting. Uh, how, many, how many kids have ever been, you got some kids that have been some scoundrels, wave at me. Y'all, you got to help me, this is participator sport, don't make me do all the work. How many kids have been some scoundrels at some point in your life? If, uh, if you're not raising your hand, you need to take really good notes today. Your kids are, you're, you're, I know you think they're great, and look at my kid, look how cute he is. Your kid's likely not the cutest. He's likely not the most athletic. You're buying the high. It's not true. Most kids are scoundrels often. Can I just get a big amen? amen. So the job of parents is to help bring that to a focus. And so it says this, now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. So again, one of the things that I think our kids need, again, just giving them, again, culture. I want you to do this culture. The push and pull of culture is to make your kids rich in experience and rich in stuff. Does your kid have the newest and the shiniest and the best? And if you take them camping, if you put them in AAU, are they traveling all over every weekend? There's nothing wrong with some of those things. But again, what our kids need, they don't need being rich in experience and rich in stuff. What your kids and my kids and kids for all time need is they need to be rich in relationship and rich in direction. And if you'll be a parent that's pulled close to your kid and help them in their journey. Again, we talked about last week, the Bible tells us that we're to train up a child in the way, in the direction, in the path. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. And so one of the ways we do that is by giving them knowledge that's relevant, Knowledge that's relevant. When I say knowledge that's relevant, I want you to notice one of the things that Eli did is that uh, while his kids weren't following it at this point, at least he trained them up to know the Lord. He trained them up to know the responsibilities as priests. They weren't following it at this point, but he was able to pass on to the next generation this information. Let me just ask you a question. Are, Are you raising your kids for success? Are you raising your grandkids as a teacher? Are you investing in your students to be success. Here's what I'm convinced of, that your primary purpose is to prepare your child for adulthood. This is how you'll know one day down the road, not when their wheels off, not when they're going through a phase of rebellion because lots of kids go through phases. But this is how you'll know. Typically, we don't know in the moment. Typically, we don't really know when they're young. You'll know you succeeded when your children are adults and they're succeeding as adults that you succeeded as a parent. 
And one of the ways we do that is by giving them knowledge that's relevant. Because here's what I know. When kids come into this world, they do not have a pre-programmed OS. They don't have an operating system. Someone has to give them an operating system. Someone has to give them a framework of how do I, how do I navigate relationships? How do I handle money? How do, how do I work with, with bullying? How do, I, how do I navigate culture, culture shifting and changing? And what I have found out is, again, in trying to give them knowledge that's relevant, oftentimes, I know this is true, information is not intuitive. Again, it has to be given. Information is very convoluted. It's trying to figure out what our kids need, and they're being bombarded. I want you to know, if you don't give your kids an operating system, someone will give them an operating system. Someone will teach them the framework of how to navigate the big topics of life. Uh, this may not be popular in this room, and I'm okay not being popular. I just don't think sexuality and sex is a conversation that should be happening in a classroom, especially underneath sixth grade. You can disagree with me all you want. And listen, I'm not looking for applause. But the reason the education system has taken up that conversation is because we have relegated that conversation as parents. We're not having it, so they're having it. If you're not having it in your house, somebody will, someone will uh, in, in, uh, educate them in those conversations. Someone will give them a relationship operating system. Someone will give them a moral operating system. Someone will give them an ethical operating system. It's TikTok or it's you. It's their teammates or it's you. It's their teacher that may or may not love Jesus or it's you. It's what they learn when they're on the internet or it's you. It's, it's what they watch on Netflix or it's you. But here's what I know is regardless of the information you're trying to upload into their operating system, they're constantly downloading information everywhere else they go. And so what I want you to know is that our challenge as parents, if we're going to really raise our, gen our kids to be successful, we have to give them knowledge. Everybody say knowledge. Knowledge, and it has to be relevant, which means it has to be age appropriate for the season of life they're in. There is a right time to talk to your kids about Jesus. There's a right time to talk to your kids about who's in their circle of influence. There's a right time. I don't know if you all know this. There's a right time to talk to your kids about money. There's a right time to talk to your kids about how to manage and discipline their life. And as we go through seasons and phases of life from the time they're babies till they can begin to talk till they go through this, like the elementary school, and then they go through the preteen years and the teenage years, we need to consistently be giving our kids knowledge that's relevant. Here's a quick question. What are five things, you don't have to write this down to write this second, but I'd encourage you to consider, what's five things that your kid, based on the age that they are, you think they absolutely need to know? What are the five things that your kid, in the stage and age they're at in life right now, that they absolutely need to know? And then immediately you should follow that question is, am I teaching that or is somebody else teaching that? Because they're getting that information somewhere. Let's go, Pastor. Number two thing uh, we're going to talk about is that intimacy, that's intentional. Anybody here like some love? Yes. Come on. I love some love. Everybody loves some love. And one of the things that our kids desperately need is they need parents that have this intentional intimacy to connect with their kids. Check this out. Watch this again about Eli. It says this. Now, Eli was very old. I want you to read this next part with me. Lawrenceburg, Florence, Outlaw, come on, read this. But he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. 
He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. He says this, he says, Eli said to them, I've been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things that you've been doing. Why do you keep sinning? So one of the things you got to give it up for Eli, where he had some parental struggles, he was very much aware of what his kids were up to. Let me ask you a question. Do you know where your kids are? Do you know where your kids are at physically? Do you know where your kids are at relationally? Who they're hanging out with? Who they're running with? I don't know if anybody else used to play this game. Anybody play this game when you were a kid that you would, you would get together and you would have this plan, two or three or four of your friends would get together and you would all say, hey, I'll tell your parents I'm gonna be at, you're going to be at my house and I'll tell my parents we're going to be at your house and we're going to go out and we're going we're gonna to disrupt the community overnight. Anybody know what I'm talking Anybody ever do that? Let me tell you why my kids have never done that because as long as my kids said, hey, I'm going to be at so-and-so's house, you know how I know they were there? Because I called and talked to the parents. Hey, are you going to be there? Did you know my son's coming? Do you still want him to come? <laughs> Do you need me to pick him up? I'm just telling you at some point that this world is telling us, man, you need, to, you need to get out of your kid's life, man. Let them grow up. And there is a balance and attention, and it's very often, it's oftentimes very hard to navigate successfully that we want to be cautious that we're not helicopter parents. You don't know what that term is. It means you're always hovering. You're always over their shoulder. There's lots of research that has come out that has shown that helicopter parenting is detrimental to the success and growth of young kids growing into successful adulthood. But at the same time, if you're too pulled out, if you're not involved enough, if you're not engaged in those conversations enough, your kids are going to get off the rail. And so one of the things that we find about Eli is that he had the answer to this question. I know where my kids are at. I got my finger on the pulse of what my kids are doing in the community. I know what the word on the street is. Let me tell you one of the, one of the probably losses for my kids, but one of the successes for me as a parent of pastoring this church this large, my kids can't get away without much without me knowing about it. Everybody knows me and my kids. So if they're going to sin, they're going to have to go far away. <laughs> I said that for them in case they're listening. <laughs> so when I talk about intimacy that's intentional, let me just give you three things. Again, lots of information. Number one, again, this is this idea of awareness. Again, are, are you just are you aware of who they are? Are you aware of what they're going through? Are you aware of their struggles? Are, are you just aware? Do you have this awareness of the challenges that they're experiencing in the stage of life that they are currently in? The second thing I want to talk about is attention, not just an awareness, but I think our kids need more than anything attention. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give this up to, um, to my son. And when I say attention, here would be the challenge I would give every parent uh, is this, every grandparent is, is just try to lock in for 15 minutes every day with your kid. I know life's busy. A lot of us, we wake up, we already have things going on, we have appointments to go to, we have work to get to, we have lots of challenges, and we go through our day, and our kids are out doing their own thing, they're in school, they're in college, they're in sports, and sometimes it's so hard just to get time with our kids. But if our, we're going to give our kids the basics, we have to give them intimacy that is intentional, which means you need to make some kind of plan for it to happen because it likely won't happen by accident. We need to make sure that we're not, we're not passing through the night bumping into our kids as they go to the room and we go to bed. And so one of the things that we try to do and happens, and I think we have a good relationship with our kids, but right now my son, he's 17. He's the last. He's our youngest. And so on his way to adulthood, I wait, he wakes up right now in the morning. He goes to workouts, wakes up 5.30 in the morning. I'm just getting in a deep REM sleep at that point. 
And he goes and he works out for three and a half hours every morning with the football team. And between him leaving and coming back, I have gotten up and I've left, which means we don't see each other in the morning. And then I'm at work all day and he's out doing his thing. And when I come home, he's typically still out doing stuff. But here's what I love is almost every night he'll come into my office and we'll have just a few minutes conversation about his day, just what he went through. How's it going? How's the workouts going? And I just want to hear about it. And if you don't come into my room, I guarantee I'll go into his room. And if you have bought the lie that your kid's room is, is your kid's room and you're not allowed in there, you've bought the lie. You pay the rent. Come on. They're borrowing your room. That ain't their room. You can call it your room if it'll make you feel better, but that's my room. You don't have a phone. I got a phone because I pay for that. I, I... See, some of you don't believe me because you're not the boss in your house. Your kids are the boss. And as long as your kid feels like they're the boss, as long as they're, they're raised with this you owe me mentality, that's how they're going to operate in life. See, I knew if I talked long enough, I'd get somewhere. <laughs> but again, my point is that, that it tried, try to have this attention where my kid has my attention and, and, and I have my kid's attention. Again, it's hard. It's intentional. It doesn't always come easy. And if you've not already been doing this, I'm telling you, it's going to be even harder because here's what I found out. The less your kid gets your attention, the less they need your attention, which means if you've not been spending time with them, if you've not been engaging, they don't really need you anymore, and you're probably going to have an uphill battle. But don't stop leaning in. Don't stop trying to be intentional to have time with your kids. Involve yourself in what your kids are involved in. What do they like to do? Where do they like to go? And don't always go where they're at and where they like to go, but try to find something you have in common. Try to find something that you can do together. But you want to make sure you're giving them some time, giving them some attention, giving them some conversation. I've said this has been a while. Uh, I did a, a parenting series back in 2015, but one of the things I heard early on and it didn't always work as well as I thought it would, but it worked some, and I'll pass it on to you. I don't think there's any magic bullets here. But I heard, uh, I heard a guy say years and years ago, when you, when you pick your kids up from school, a great question to ask them is this question right here. Because if you ask them yes or no answers or questions, they'll give you a yes or no answer. Did you have a good day? Yes. Did you enjoy lunch? Yes. Did you have fun on the playground? Yes. So... You want to ask your kids open-ended questions. Don't ask them a yes or no question. So the question that I heard that I tried to use with our kids when they were young was this. Hey, tell me something that happened today that made you sad, glad, or mad. Tell me something that happened today that made you sad, made you glad, or made you mad. And if you get your kids in a conversation, a great follow-up is to say, hey, tell me more about that. Well, you know, I was out on the playground and, you know, Johnny kicked me or whatever. Well, tell me more about that. And you'll be shocked if you can engage in a conversation with your kids. They'll give you more information. They'll give you more, and it allows that attention to happen. And if you'll keep your kids in that place of relationship and conversation when they're young, it will naturally progress as they get older. But again, it just has to be intentional. It has to be intentional. The last thing is this, and this is one of my favorites, if I'm honest, is you got to give your kids in the context of intimacy is you got to give them affection. I'm an affection person anyways, Anybody here, where's, where's, all my, where's all my touchy-feely people? Like, wave at me. Like, I would rather hug somebody. I was born in the wrong culture. I should have been Italian because I'll kiss, I'll kiss anybody. I'll tell people, listen, for real, some of you dudes, you've been kissed by me, and it's okay. And I'll grab you, and I'll say, come on, bring it in for the real thing. Because that's how I am. I, like, I, don't, I don't like, hey, I like touching people and hugging them and rubbing on them. That's just how I am. It's just my makeup. And I'm going to tell you something. 
Your kids need that. Your kids need affection. They need touch. They need it. They need it. And you have to find a way to give it to them. Now, I'm going to give you a little secret. Are you ready? This is the best tip I can give you. It's the best thing I can tell you is your kids, if you try to touch them, if you try to kiss them, if you try to say things to them, they're going to act like they hate it. Ooh, damn, people are looking. I don't care what they say. They're going to act like you're a leper deep down inside. They love it. Maybe not in the moment, but they'll remember. I'm just telling you, because we were created. I want y'all to hear this. We were created. Do you know God could have made you anyway? God could have made you a spirit like he's a spirit, but he gave us corporeal flesh. He gave us the ability to connect physically with one another. He wanted the assets that he gave Adam and Eve that I'm thankful for all these generations later is, is, is sexual intimacy, the ability for a husband and wife to connect physically. We can connect relationally. We can connect conversationally. We can connect spiritually. But God said, you know what? I, need, I want you to connect physically. And that physical connection is not limited to the context of husband and wife. It should be in the context of family, of parents and their kids. You need to connect affectionately with your kids. And I'm going to tell you, when you hug them, I love this. I'm, I'm, I, Zach's not here, so y'all getting stuff that I won't say next service. <laughs> so this, this happened this weekend. So my daughter, she's 25, getting ready to be 25, moving in the process, moving to Nashville. Actually, she's moving her stuff today. And so she's living in Nashville, and she came home. And my oldest daughter, she's not really overly affectionate. She came up, first thing she did, walked in, she's like, hey, Dad, and came over and hugged me. I'm like, baby, how much money do you need? <laughs> Just write a check and I'll add a zero to it. But same thing with my son. Now, my son, is a, he's eight, almost 18 years old. He's a grown man. Right on the edge of this phase. And I'm just telling you, I'll see my son across the room. I'm like, come here, son. And I don't like hug him from the side. Man, I get up in his grill and I, and I hug him. And I don't like, I don't give like the, Yo, bro, I, I hug him for about five seconds, and he knows I'm hugging him, and he's hugging me. Did you know when you hug somebody long enough, endorphins kick in, and there's a bond, there's a connection made? Like God created us chemically for something to happen. There's a guy by the name of King Frederick. I'd encourage you maybe to look him up. He was a German king in the 13th century, was not a really great king, made a lot of really bad decisions, but... He was so, uh, so in love with the German culture and the German language that he had this thought, what would happen if kids were not raised being taught a language? His assumption was, if they're not taught a language, his assumption was that they would naturally speak German. He was so convinced of it. And so he took 50 children born from their mothers and snatched them away from their homes, and they were to be raised by nurses, and here was his instruction two things. You're not allowed to talk in their presence at all because we don't want them to hear language. We want to see what language they speak. And number two, you can't touch them at all unless absolutely. So like minimal touch, really none. Do you know what language they ended up speaking? We don't know because 50 out of 50 died within the first year because they lacked physical touch, attention, and affection. The more that you starve your kids of attention and affection. They're dying. And here's what I know is true because I've seen it. I've been, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, been in ministry, so I hear lots of stories. I get to connect with lots of family and people. 
is that boys will get attention somewhere if you don't give it to them, and it's likely negative attention. And girls will get affection somewhere, and it's likely negative affection if you don't give it to them. It is our joy, and it is our job, and it is our responsibility to give kids what they need. And one of the greatest things that kids need is they need intimacy from their parents. Come on, y'all. Now, don't do it today. Don't run home and be like, come here, because then they'll blame me. Number three, in kids, they need knowledge that's relevant. They need intimacy that's intentional. Number three, they need discipline. That's consistent. Don't clap. Y'all ain't even doing it, most of you. I've seen your kids in Walmart. Come on, y'all don't start beating them. I'm going to have to step in. Let me say a lot again. I, typically, if you come first, service second, you're going to get the same messes. I've, I've laid it out, practiced it, memorized it. This is a lot of the stuff that I won't talk about, but you might get stuff second service gets and vice versa. A couple of thoughts real quick on discipline. Discipline is, is, is so hard to navigate. Discipline is a challenge. Watch 1 Samuel chapter 2. Eli says, he says this to his sons. Again, when he finds out they're dishonoring God and dishonoring the information they've been given, he says, you must stop, my sons. Notice when his kids get outside of the parameters and get outside of what's expected, he at least steps in and says, hey, we're not going to tolerate that in this house. We're not okay with that in this house. We're going to have a conversation about you following the responsibilities and the rules of the house. You must stop. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. And so I just want to challenge you just off the, off the bat, be bold enough, be brave enough to discipline your kids. We live in a world and we live in a culture right now that's really, really hard. We're under the gun. We're under the radar. Most kids are underdisciplined because oftentimes parents are over, uh, overcompensating. We're trying to be friends. Listen, God didn't make you the boss of your kids. He didn't make you the, the friend of your kids. He made you the parent, which is really this unique role that we get. But it's our responsibility above everybody else's and anybody else's to discipline our kids. And the way we discipline our kids is important, but I'm going to give you three things real quick. First of all, if we're going to discipline our kids. They, they got to have clear expectations. Everybody say clear expectations, which means it's not fair for, an, for a kid or an employee to ever be disciplined if they didn't know that's the expectation. Like they need to know what are the rules of the house. Here's a quick challenge. I gave you one earlier. What are the five rules that you think your kid should be, should be tracking in the house? Lawrenceburg, what are the five rules for your kid that you think, my kid, this is what I expect of them? And if you were to ask them, what are the five rules of the house? Would they say the same five rules? Because if not, you have expectations of your kids that they're not aware of. And when they don't meet those expectations, you're going to get mad at them. And it's not fair to them. You didn't give them the information that's relevant to accurately discipline them consistently. So you got to give them these really clear expectations. Again, what are the rules of the house? I heard someone say this, and uh, I, th I thought this was, was helpful to me, might be helpful to you. They said, we only discipline our kids for three things. We only discipline our kids for th three things. We discipline our kids for dishonor. You ain't, you ain't talking back to mama. Dishonor is not tolerated in this house. Because if they don't honor you, I promise you, they will not honor any other authorities. Authority, understanding the place of authority starts in the home. Number one, dishonor. Number two, disobedience. So if they know what the rules are, a specific rule and they violate it, they're, they're disciplined for disobedience. And number, th number three, uh, dishonesty. Because I think one of the best things we can teach our kids are ethics and morality through, through truth-telling. 
through being honest citizens and people. And so one of the challenges, and I'll be honest, this is, I wish I learned some of this earlier. I wish somebody, I sat where you're sitting right now, and I had some of these conversations when I was a young parent. Because I know this, like, I was the parent, and, like, I didn't beat my kids and blow up and lose my mind. But, like, when my kids were young and they knocked over a glass of milk, I'll be honest, my response, what are you doing? What you knock your milk over for? Well, I don't know anybody ever. Maybe it's happened. But how many people has ever been in a restaurant and knocked a drink over? Wave at me. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Keep your How many of you knocked it over on purpose? Leave your hand up. Well, come on. You're... you're Kids are clumsy. They're trying to acclimate to a grown. So if they're knocking something over, you better believe when you knocked it over, it's on accident. It was an accident for them. We don't discipline for accidents. One of the best things you can do in times like that is just clean it up and say, you know what? Dad's knocked over lots of glasses. I wish I did that more. But again, we just have to make sure when they know what the expectations are, like, here's what we expect. We're not going to tolerate dishonor. We're not going to tolerate disobedience. And we're not going to tolerate uh, dishonesty. And once there's clear expectations, there have to be clear consequences. When they violate the rules, what are the clear consequences of your house? There should be some kind of, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. If you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to tread a little bit light here. Um, I know we live in a culture that, that capital punishment, corporal punishment is, is very much frowned upon. And uh, I think the reason it's frowned upon is part of the culture we live in, part of because we abused corporal punishment. Corporal punishment is when you physically discipline a kid. It's not just verbal. Now, just a couple quick things. Listen, if you're trying to physically hurt a kid, you're doing it wrong. If you're leaving marks that last... You're doing it wrong. If you're doing it out of anger, you're doing it wrong. If you're doing it when your kid is probably, this is my opinion. If you're using corporal punishment above the age of five, you're doing it wrong. Once a kid's six, seven, at eight, you got to hit them hard enough, you're, over, you're just doing it too much. You got to find a different form of discipline. But let me just ask you a question. If you don't like my form of discipline, how's counting working for you? All right, I told you, I'm, count to, I'm counting to five. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, I'm going to count again, and for real this time, do you know every time you tell your kid, every, every single count, you're giving your kids latitude to be rebellious. You're giving your kids latitude to be rebellious. And so there has to be consequences. And one of the challenges, again, I'm trying to speak to this culture, is we are so quick as parents in this culture and grandparents in this culture to try to rescue our kids from pain. Do you know pain is one of the best teachers in life? And when they get, when they get disciplined at school, don't go yell at the teacher. Back the teacher up. When they get disciplined by a coach, don't, don't yell at the coach. Back the coach up. Unless the coach is just playing crazy. But back them up. There's consequences. When you don't do what's expected of you in the classroom, in the community, in the culture, if a police officer comes to my door, if a teacher calls me, if I get an email from a coach, we're having a conversation. I'm not going to go rescue from the teacher because I want my kid to experience the pain of what happens when they break the rules because there's lots of latitude when they're young, but when they get older and start breaking rules, they get unemployed, they go to prison, they end up home. Like There's lots of really bad things that happen that we can help rescue them from if we'll raise really great kids. And the last thing that needs to happen with discipline is there has to be consistency. Everybody say consistency. 
Oh, yeah, there's about a third of you. Everybody in Lawrenceburg and in, in Florence say consistency. consistency. If you're going to discipline your kids, you and your spouse have to get on the same page. And parents and grandparents, you have to get on the same page. Grandparents, I can say this now because I'm not one yet, and I'm likely to break this rule, but I'll come back to this message just like you need to. When your kids set up rules for your grandkids, and then you violate those rules that are under them, what you're teaching them is there's no consistency. All I got to do is run to grandma and grandpa, and they'll rescue me, and you're rescuing from the pain of discipline. There has to be consistency. When, when fathers and mothers are not consistent in discipline, I'm telling you, you're hurting your kids because they know I don't have to listen to dad because mom will let me off. You're not helping your kids. You're hurting them. Now, again, that's a challenge for all of us. I can tell you, the Bible says this about Jesus, that when Jesus came, he came, in, he came full of grace and truth. And Jesus is the only one ever to get that balance right. Parents, I'm going to tell you, in my house, that's grace and this is truth. And I'm just telling you, there's times I get to truth. And my, and my wife has to step in and say, listen, man, you, know, you, don't, you don't need to be that harsh. You don't need to be that difficult. And I don't tell her to her face in the moment, but later I walk away and think she was right. <laughs> but then there's times my wife gets too loosey-goosey. And I'm like, no, we, no, no, they got chores up in this house. You're not doing their chores. They're not, you're not doing their chores. <laughs> Let's say that together. You're not doing their chores. Say it this way. You're, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But again, if, if there's too much compromise, but sometimes there, there has to be that tension, there has to be this balance. But if there are clear expectations, this is what we expect of you as a young man or a young lady in this house. This is how we expect you to carry yourself. This is how we expect you to obey. These are the limits. These are the boundaries. If you violate those, there will be consequences and we're going to hold to them. If you ground your kid for a year, you're ridiculous. If you take their phone for three months, you're never going to do it. You're going to give it back sooner. It's ridiculous. Fine. Listen, if they can't do the time, don't do the crime. Give them something fair. Give them something realistic. Give them something to aim for next time, but have consistent discipline. Make them experience the pain of being disobedient and be consistent all the way through. Hold to your word and it will teach your kids, here are the rules and the boundaries and the limits, and I can't violate them because mom and dad mean business. Yeah. Anybody here have a parent that means business? Be a parent that means business. Last thing, I'm out of time. I'm out of time, so I'm just going to make a couple quick comments. Last thing that your kids need are structure. I got so much I could say here. And this will likely be the least positive thing or least accepted thing is the best structure. Biblically, I'm convinced if you do it God's way, you'll experience God's best. And if you give your kids knowledge, intimacy, discipline, and structure, it's not a recipe for perfection. But if you'll be consistent, if you'll train up your kids in the way that they should go when they get old, they'll not depart from it. They'll depart from it through some seasons. But one of the greatest things you can give your kids in structure is a mom and a dad. Now hear me, if you're already divorced, no shame. You can't go back and change yesterday, so I don't want you to hear any shame from me. But one of the greatest heartbreaks I experienced as a pastor is when I hear another divorce. Because the question I ask myself, and I'm not in your shoes, and I'm sure there's things happening that have taken you to a difficult place and you've had to make difficult decisions. But I see people on the backside of divorce, 
fighting over custody, fighting over money, and they're in and out of court for years. They're at odds with their ex. They're now at odds with their kids. Most kids that experience divorce in a home, the stats, I'll let you look them up, they're not great. And I have to ask, like, was your marriage so bad that you'd rather lose your family, lose that beautiful wife, lose those beautiful kids, fight in court for the next 10 years, your money split, it's a headache. Like, your marriage was that bad? And if your marriage is that bad, get help. But if you are married, fight for your marriage because in fighting for your marriage, you're fighting for the next generation. Kids raised with a mom in a home and a dad. I know there's some moms that are doing it flying solo and you're rock stars. And there's some dads that's doing it all on your own and you're awesome. But I'm just telling you, biblically, sociologists say it, psychiatrists say it, everybody says it, raised in the context of a two-parent home exponentially increases the success of your children. Give them structure in church. What's the structure of spirituality in your house? What's the, stru- what's the schedule in your house? Give them structure. Give them chores. Give them structure. What's the responsibility? Give them structure. Here's what I know as I go through this. On the backside of our parenting, getting ready to step into grandparenting, is some of this, again, we've done okay. But I want to do it really well because this next generation is depending on it. My kids, your kids, my grandkids and your grandkids are counting on you giving knowledge that's relevant, intimacy that's intentional, discipline that's consistent, and some structure. How many in this room, Lawrenceburg, you'd be awesome to say that you need to do a better job in any one of these four categories? Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Father, we come in the name of Jesus and just ask, Father, sometimes we don't do it well because it wasn't done well for us. Sometimes we don't do it well because we don't know how. Sometimes we don't do it well because our time is stretched. But Lord, would you help us? Father, I pray for every parent listening to this and watching this. God, will you help us to just focus in, maybe just on one area. God, where can we do better to be more effective in raising this next generation? God, we thank you for the gift of our kids. And while sometimes it's a challenge, God, we consider it a great joy to be blessed with children. God, help us to take our responsibility seriously to fuel their faith and God, to raise them to be successful adults. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen.